0: Light a campfire, and everyone's a storyteller. Join us for some thought-provoking and beyond fireside chats.
1: My name is Kasha, and this is NBeyond Beyond Fireside Chats. Leave Our World a Better Place. Today we welcome back NBeyond Beyond Conservation Manager Les Carlisle to talk about the concept of conservation coalitions or how the travel industry can work together for the benefit of wildlife. Welcome, Les.
0: Hi, Kess. Wonderful to be with you again.
1: Thank you for joining us once again. Liz, let's kick off by chatting a little bit about the concept of a conservation coalition. What exactly is it? Does it relate to the travel industry in particular, or can it be any number of like-minded individuals coming together for the benefit of conservation?
0: Cass, it's amazing that I think conservation coalitions are the reason why we have had the success that we have in conservation world. And I think it's going to be the cornerstone of the future as we climb out of COVID-19. The reason why I say this is that um, traditionally people have different skills and traditionally people have different positions on different issues. But often there'll be complementary skills between two different organizations. And if you pool your resources, you always end up going further than you would if you tried to go on your own. And I think that that concept of being able to use the best resources from different organizations to support each other to provide a conservation outcome has been a cornerstone of the way Africa Foundation um, was built. It was a cornerstone of the way and beyond, in fact, was built care of the land, care of the wildlife and care of the people, three completely different disciplines that need to work together to achieve a conservation outcome. So our very model is a coalition of different concepts that work together for a conservation outcome. When I think back to the early days of working with the erstwhile Natal Parks Board before Ismvelo KZN Wildlife was formed, they all had the statutory and regulatory framework in which to run provincial parks. And they had extension officers that worked with private sector developers who, were, who had wildlife on private land. But the legislation didn't even exist to build a Big Five game reserve like we were trying to do at, at Pinda, mm-hmm. And it was remarkable to see the amount of effort that the conservation authorities put into supporting our endeavor to try and create a Big Five game reserve on private land and that was for me where this cooperation and coalition concept has been a fundamental part of the way and beyond has operated for the last almost 30 years
1: Fantastic, so it's really as simple as like-minded people with a common goal in mind coming together using their talents as best they can
0: for a shared goal is that right that's exactly right and i think The reason why it hasn't happened um, to a large extent in many areas is that uh, the biggest single threat to conservation in the world today is the egos of the conservationists. Mm -hmm. People want to do conservation for credit, and if they have credit as one of their primary outcomes where they need to see themselves up in lights, they often lose sight of the conservation outcome that could be achieved if they used credit as a tool. If you give somebody else the limelight, you can achieve a lot more in your conservation endeavours. So, um, parking your differences, and most importantly, parking the credit that goes with success until conservation success is achieved, then it doesn't matter who gets the credit, because we get the conservation success that we're looking for at the Mm -hmm. bottom. So, Coalitions are a very focused attempt at people with differing views, different opinions, competing businesses working together for a conservation outcome.
1: Yeah,
0: and ultimately the result is what matters. Absolutely. Absolutely, and if you stay focused on what the results are, then you, it's easy to overlook your differences and actually give each other praise and and support each other and give uh, the kind of support that you wouldn't normally and credit that you wouldn't normally be able to take for yourself you can give to your partner in a coalition to boost their uh, efforts in making the coalition work because all of conservation is about effort it's about money but most importantly it's about effort and the more effort you put in the more focused that effort the better your conservation results will be
1: exactly Nez, can you tell us a little bit about some of the conservation projects that And Beyond has
0: worked on in partnership with other tourism operators? Well, I think if you if you just take the list of our impact platforms, for example, if you look at our, our seven most you know, high-profile impact platforms, the Africa Foundation is a partnership between um, the Africa Foundation and And Beyond for a direct uh, impact mitigation activity of getting communities to support the conservation area that they live around. And that's the start of our uh, relationship building. All of these activities are based on, on relationships. If you look at Rhinos Without Borders, a um, most remarkable project between two directly competing tourism operators, Great Plains Conservation, run by Derek and Beverly Joubert, and and beyond compete directly in the tourism market for our guests mm-hmm. but we've parked our differences at commercial level and work together for a conservation outcome and i think iranus without borders is a perfect example of how one plus one equals three and not two yes. um, because we have different totally different uh, strengths um, and combining those different strengths means that our outcomes have been much bigger than either of us would have been able to achieve on our own and for me that was a really big eye-opener we competing tourism companies work together and achieve much more for conservation than either of them would have been able to do on their own so the foundation of coalitions um, has been something that our CEO Joss Kent has been um, Hunting for quite a while, saying that we can't do this alone. Nobody can do conservation alone. And the more we can find like-minded people to work with, the better our results will be in the long term. Oceans Without Borders is another collaboration um, for us, working with whoever we can in all of the different legs that protecting the oceans have the artisanal fisheries from, from the shores, the research on the coral reefs under the sea. All of these things work with different organizations to achieve the same conservation outcome. And then, of course, our, our landscape Coalition, which is um, a, a group of tourism organizations that have got together and rallied behind the Lion Recovery Fund, uh, which is WCS and Leonardo DiCaprio Foundation. So they're a massive, big organization that has taken uh, doubling the number of lions as their primary objective by the year 2050 and we're really privileged to work with our direct competitors in wilderness safaris singita ultimate safaris in namibia and um Africa fund and uh, and beyond as the four founder members of a coalition of tourism operators that are working together to support the Lion Recovery Fund. And we're a fairly small percentage of the total Lion Recovery Fund uh, revenue generation and donor base, but a very important one because of our network of guests who literally come from every corner of the world and can influence in a much bigger way than any one of our companies could influence on their own. So it's about pooling your resources from an influence point of view, from a commercial point of view, and from a donation point of view, and mixing them all together to have a much stronger conservation outcome. And the next one is, you know, the WWF Black Rhino Range Expansion uh, Program that we were part of, which has been quite remarkable. Uh, For me, the privilege of being part of taking state assets in the form of state animals and hosting them on private land in order to increase the range is an incredibly exciting concept that was started by Dr. Jacques Flamand and WWF back in the early 2000s. And Pinder was privileged to be part of the pioneering of that project. We were the first partnership that they would identified that could work um, as we ticked all the boxes for them. So being able to understand that other NGOs working with the private sector using state assets all pulled together for a conservation outcome. And it's been remarkable what that project has, has achieved. Um, then more recently, the African Pangolin Working Group at Pinda reintroducing the Temex Ground Pangolins onto the Pinda Private Game Reserve in in northern KwaZulu-Natal. Okay, so the African Pangolin Working Group is another wonderful example of um, an NGO working with a private sector uh, using um, assets that have been confiscated by the state out of animal trafficking world. Obviously, the Pangolin is one of the most trafficked uh, animals in the world. And we've been privileged to join with the African Pangolin Working Group in releasing them back into Pinda Private Game Reserve in northern KwaZulu Natal. Again, a massive conservation outcome that we wouldn't have been able to achieve on our own. Um, and obviously, when you look at all of these uh, lessons that have been learned during all of this pioneering work that's been done over the last 30 years. Uh, effectively at at, at Pinder Private Game Reserve and through the whole of Ambion's history, recording this and making sure that the information is available so that other people don't make the same mistakes we do and don't trip up in the same same holes that we did, research becomes really important. And one of the things that we've developed um, recently is a a formal agreement with UNISA, the University um, of South Africa. And all of our sustainability questions are uh, answered by um, post-grad students who get their qualification and we get the the research question answered for management so everybody wins and it's properly recorded so we can share this information with as many people as possible. Mm -hmm. So one of the biggest successes of a coalition is that the information is shared widely so that more and more people can learn from the activities and avoid the pitfalls um, that may or may not have befallen the project as we've gone. So certainly coalitions are the future of conservation.
1: Absolutely. And it certainly sounds like they're they're becoming more and more the norm. Um, we've already chatted, you've mentioned a couple of the challenges of Conservation Coalition and, um, and the needs and, and the necessity to balance to, to keep the end the end, gains, the end goal of the project in mind. Um, you know, just thinking about some of those challenges, what are the ways in which you've been able to overcome them in the projects that you've worked on? What are some of the learnings that you can possibly share um, in regard to that?
0: I think probably the biggest learning for all of us is that we are different, and and when you look at commercial companies working together for a conservation outcome, each of the commercial companies are driven by uh, differing commercial uh, realities and differing commercial motivations. So. As commercial organizations, we do approach things differently. Yes. And I think the thing that allowed us to overcome our differences between great Plains conservation, and and beyond, if I look at that model specifically, was a continued focus on is it in the best interests of the rhinos for us to make this decision or not. And if it is in the best interest of the rhinos, that rhinos without borders were trying to move, then go for it. And the partner, whether they're involved in the decision or not, if they see that the decision is made in the interests of the animals, they'll go with it in the same way as they'll be making decisions which may or may not allow the consultation to take place. As long as you're doing it with the right objective in mind, it generally has the right outcome and keeps the team together and keeps you working. Whenever we had difficult uh, situations where we approach things differently between the two organizations we just fell back on. Is it in the interest of the rhinos to do this or isn't it? If it is, let's go for it. And that becomes your your binding, the glue that binds you together in a coalition mm-hmm. is focus on your outcome rather than the process or the decision that you're involved in now. If it's going to benefit the outcome and if it's going to improve your solution, absolutely go for it. So it's it's about trying to find that clear focus on what the outcome is that you want and measuring all of your actions against that clear focus on a specific outcome.
1: So it's really about doing some homework up front, deciding exactly what your objectives are and basically measuring all of your the work that comes afterwards against those. Is that
0: correct? Yeah, that's absolutely right. And I think that um, we spend quite a bit of time Recording and writing down what the objectives of runners Without borders um, was and and what we as a project were trying to achieve mm-hmm. and then we just all ran at those objectives as hard as we could. Um, we set up regular communication, regular meetings, um, but monthly meetings there's four weeks in between when things happen, yes. and it's in those periods that you need to trust each other to stay focused on the goals. And the most important aspect of these kind of partnerships is that aspect of trust, Mm -hmm. where we trust each other to operate for the same outcome, and then we go for it hard. And that pulled us much closer together um, than I ever would have expected as commercial organizations. And in fact, uh, the Great Plains team have become really good friends of mine, which are, which is an outcome I'd never expected in a coalition uh, for conservation. That's really wonderful to hear, Les.
1: Now, you've mentioned that conservation coalitions are really the way of the future and the way that a lot of conservation projects are heading. Why do you think that it's more important than ever now for tourism operators to work together to benefit conservation?
0: Well, I think that the realities of the outside world is that there are so many um, increased pressures and threats to conservation that we've always been saying that we're going to have to do everything better for conservation to succeed. Um, And part of doing everything better is going to be that we've had a very fragmented approach to conservation in the past, where communities and the world is divided about how to approach consumptive conservation versus non-consumptive conservation. Um, and if you look at uh, the, the divisions in the, in the conservation world around um safari, how to do your safaris, what size your hotels need to be, and the direct conflict between the big commercial hotel operators and the small luxury hotel operators. Um, One needs access to everything. The other one needs exclusivity for everything. And I think the genius of AND is going to be finding a middle road where we can all support each other and work together for conservation outcomes. We're not going to have the privilege of being able to argue with anybody who's involved in conservation. We're going to have to embrace them regardless of how different they are To us, if there's something that we agree on, we have to work together on that which we agree on and park that which we disagree on because that's not going to be constructive in us achieving our conservation outcome. So I'm really confident that, that there's going to be a lot more tolerance of different views. At the moment, social media internationally is driving wedges between people because of uninformed views which are not based on anything other than local circumstances which are very different to other circumstances so it's very difficult to broad strokes conservation solutions it's a very complicated activity and we're going to need locally crafted solutions for local problems that are going to need traditionally conflicting partners to work together for conservation Mm -hmm. outcomes and i think that's going to be the future of conservation okay
1: and ultimately, a lot of those companies are basically the ones that are on the ground that really know what is happening in that specific context.
0: Absolutely. And and traditionally, um, organizations on the ground that have that have uh, taken each other on um, in the way they operate um, there's absolutely nothing wrong with making sure that everybody sticks to the rules. And in Mm -hmm. fact, that we're going to have to do more and more of. Um, But once we're all sticking to the rules, there's no point in using the fact that we operate differently um, as a lever for division. It should rather be um, parked and let's work together for the conservation outcome that we both need. Because everybody involved in wildlife needs good well-managed wildlife areas on which to base their activities. And that's going to have to be the focus for all of us going forward in mm-hmm. conservation.
1: Absolutely. Now, earlier on you mentioned that one of the strengths of um, the travel industry working together for conservation is that it allows us to reach a very wide range of traveller um, and many of the guests that travel with these companies. What are some of the things that travelers can do if they are conscious of of sustainable travel, of conservation, and if they want to play a part in this?
0: Well, I think the first and most important thing to do is to pick the people that you travel with based on their track record of making a difference. We have to start making a difference in this world of ours, all of us. We need to start making a difference the way we operate at home, the way we operate at schools, the way we operate in universities, the way we operate in our workplace, and then, most importantly, the way we recreate, where we go on holiday. We need to use our holidays increasingly to make a difference to the destination that we're visiting. So selecting partners, travel partners, that can help you go on holiday in such a way that you're securing habitat for elephants in Africa on your holiday. That's got to be a wonderful way to go on holiday. And as we look at the current um, lockdowns that everybody's under, picking organizations um, like the Lion Recovery Fund from WCS or the Africa Foundation from and beyond and putting your resources, any spare cash that you have into these organizations to make sure that they secure the resources that we're going to need when we ramp tourism out of this um, come the end of the year or early next year whenever tourism starts picking mm-hmm. up. So we need to be focused on what the end goal is for our lives all of us need to start understanding that we can make a difference to those around us just the way we greet each other the way we treat each other has to improve Mm -hmm. and if we can get that to improve to the point where we make a difference in every aspect of our lives small though it may be right the way through to the way we recreate then we're going to get into a much better world than we currently are in and one that we can contemplate while we're all locked down
1: that's a wonderful prospect thank you les Now, um, over-tourism is something that travellers are becoming more and more conscious of um, as we look at ways to travel more sustainably and live more sustainably. However, funding from tourism is also very important to many national parks and many conservation projects. How do you reconcile those two and try and find a balance?
0: I think... um probably the most important thing to recognize is that there is impact in everything that we do on the planet. So understanding that, that we are part of an overall ecosystem and we are going to have impact on this ecosystem, both positive and negative. So trying to reduce our negative impacts in everything that we do is key, um, not only to the way we live and the way we go on holiday, but it's also key to the way we interact with each other. And the more positivity we can have in all of our interactions, the better for the planet and the better for each of us individually. And then when you look at the impact that we do have, which is unavoidable, you've got to look at how you can positively overcome that impact. So your net Mm -hmm. environmental impact needs to be positive. So you need to give more on the one hand and take less on the other hand, we need to take less of the resources of the planet for the way we operate, both recreationally and in sustaining ourselves on the planet. And then we need to give more into our communities and into conservation and into the environment that supports us. So it's about taking less and giving more. And I think that we need to make sure that we're always on the positive side of that equation. When we measure the impacts that we have, they need to be outweighed by the positive benefits that the system is getting from the way we operate. Mm
1: -hmm. So as a consumer or as a traveler, um, is what you're saying that you would need to do your homework before you travel, look at companies or destinations that are actually measuring the way, the impact that they're having and managing that? Um, do you think that's something that's the way of the future?
0: Absolutely. I think there's no doubt that that's the way of the future because it's one thing to say that you're making a difference. Mm -hmm. It's another thing to be able to prove that you're making a difference or measure the difference that you're making. Um, That for us was a really big challenge when we started looking at what are the impacts that we're having and how do we measure them? And our, our annual impact review has been, a, has been a remarkable learning curve for all of us um, involved in, in and beyond to see, well, how do you measure this stuff and how do we make sure that the planet is benefiting from our existence rather than being impacted by our existence?
1: Well, It's definitely a wonderful thing to have to be able – for a traveller to be able to have that transparency and that kind of information to use to make their travel decisions ahead of time.
0: Yeah, and I think increasingly it's going to be the way people um, engage with that segment of um, being able to select that that portion of the selection of where they go on holiday is going to increasingly be critical. If you can't measure the impact of the people that you're traveling with, it's quite difficult to know that you are or aren't having an impact. So being able to find the organizations that actually do measure it and travel with those is going to mean that everybody will start measuring the impact. Because one thing we do know is that the travel industry has been remarkably good at doing a whole lot of things that they know are important to do, but not always telling that story that well. And I think we were complete culprits of that for many, many years, where we focused on care of the land, the wildlife, and the people. It was what we did, but we didn't record it very well. So it was Mm -hmm. people had to interrogate us quite hard to find out how much of an impact we were having on the environment around us. And once we started recording that and measuring that, and sharing that, it started becoming easier and easier. So I think the whole travel industry is going to have to be able to justify their impact on the planet and their positive benefits that people will um, have in traveling with them. So it's going to become the way of the future without doubt.
1: Fabulous. Liz, I realize that the situation with COVID-19 has thrown a certain, a fair amount of uncertainty into plans for the future. Um are you able to share with us in this context what are some of EnBeyond's future conservation goals and any specific species that we that EnBeyond that is wanting to focus on or geographical areas where we want to expand our conservation work?
0: I think um, the one thing that has happened is that we had fairly clear plans of where we were going to be going before COVID-19. And obviously those are going to have to be shown, but the areas that we currently have a presence that we need to expand are in in Sri Lanka uh, in Southeast Asia and in Bhutan where we 're going to be opening our first lodge next year uh, and The exciting thing about both those areas is that their wildlife offerings are completely different, but a lot of the basis of their wildlife experience certainly in Sri Lanka. Uh, could benefit extensively from some of the learnings that we 've had here in Africa, mm-hmm. um, and we 're going to have to develop completely new approaches to the conservation conundrum in in Bhutan, where the species one of the species that i 'm really keen on getting involved in and, and taking and beyond through is is going to be the red panda um, i 've never seen one in the wild, so this is going to be a completely new world for us, <laughs> uh, but really exciting stuff and then of course, the whole South American Situation is so diverse when you look at uh, what happens in Chile and what happens in Argentina and what happens in both sides in Patagonia down south or in Ecuador up in the north or in Peru. Completely different palettes of conservation um, patchworks that are going to need completely different approaches um, for them to be able to work. We've been really privileged to have been working with Tompkins Conservation in South America. Um, probably the biggest um, NGO in, in securing uh, conservation land or securing land for conservation in, in South America. And some of the really exciting projects there with, with Jaguar reintroductions in Argentina and, uh, and Puma monitoring um, activities down in Patagonia in, in Chile, um, all really exciting opportunities that I think we're going to be able to throw our weight behind properly once tourism starts climbing out of the lockdown.
1: Those are some really, really exciting prospects. Thank you, Les. And personally for you, what are your hopes
0: for the future of conservation? I guess that's, it's quite simple. I think that um, we're all going to have to put much more shoulder to the wheel. We're going to have to be much more innovative, and we're going to have to be much more accepting of different views and different ways of doing things if we're going to have a conservation um System That is sustainable going into the future. We're going to have to blend our revenue streams more and more and be less dependent on any single revenue stream. So all the conservation organizations that are totally dependent on donor funding are going to have to move to more commercial uh, funding opportunities both from a from a tourism perspective and from other commercial opportunities that are presented to conservation areas. And we're going to have to do everything better. We're going to have to do our tourism better. We're going to have to get better yields for conservation out of tourism. And we're going to have to diversify our revenues so that they're not only tourism-based going forward, but um, that we can have alternatives so that if tourism takes another hiccup We don't get into such a deep hole that we are now. Mm. And there's no doubt that the world is changing and we're going to have to change with it to make conservation uh, sustain into the future. I'm excited about the future, but I think it is going to require a fairly large amount of introspection and we're going to have to look at how we've engaged with all other people involved in conservation very closely and we're going to have to park our differences and work together for a conservation outcome. And if we do that, conservation is going to be in good shape
1: it's fantastic to hear that enthusiasm from you les and ultimately as tough as the past couple of months have been it really is all the downturns come with opportunities and fantastic to see you ready and waiting to see those those opportunities
0: yeah thank you kes i look forward to sharing the stories with you as we climb out of this next year
1: fabulous les we look forward to it too thank you so much for your time once again
0: My pleasure.
1: Thank you, Nais.